brand new edition of The Sweet Life, sitting here with my dog, Chief Johnson, and our esteemed, esteemed guest, Stilo, Robert Covington. What's happening? What's happening, baby? Good. Thank you for having us, man. Appreciate it. Nah, man, we, we appreciate y'all. Like, we always say, uh, this is advocacy. You know what I mean? Like, y'all, you don't have to be here. You didn't have to come. And we just appreciate y'all, you know, giving us the opportunity to sit down and, and have what we think will be a uh, transformative conversation. You know? Yeah, appreciate that shit. Sir. Yeah. So how long, how long have you guys, you guys known each other prior to, like, how many years you guys known each other? Shit, we both from Chicago. Yeah, so it was always just be like, as soon as somebody from the crib, Take it to the league, I'm out in LA for hella years. Somebody be like, you gotta connect with my boy. Yeah. Cause he's in the crib, show him some love, take him out, do this, do that. So it's always been like that. And the crazy yeah. part is, his brother, yeah. I, I shot with him like back in Minnesota for a little bit. And like, he was like, yo, my brother out here, da da da, like whenever you go to LA. And I actually hit him a couple times and we, you know, linked up for a few. Yeah. And it's been a vibe ever since. Where he take you? Where he take you? No, nah, no, nah, we just chill. Yeah. We just chill. Okay, okay. I don't yeah, I'm be chilling now, man. You know. <laughs> I used to be in these streets a little days bit. Days is gone. Yeah, them days is gone. I'm chilling. You still bowling though? I was just talking about getting back to bowling. I want to start like a little fake league for just my homies, just to have like a good vibe. You know what I'm saying? Black Hollywood only so big. Yeah. So for me, I, I like just having little things that be like, hey, it's a mixer. I know I'm gonna invite a, a good group as well. So. Yeah. I want to definitely start a little league because I used to be nice with it, you know? Yeah, you we used to be nice with it. Yeah, now we was, uh, we had Jimmy Allen on the show. Uh, Jimmy Blake? He was like, yo, I used to go. And I was like, damn, I'm for sure. Because he was talking about it that the Tuesdays when we used to go. And that's crazy, y'all say that. That's my f second favorite thing to do. Well, mm -hmm. Easy, you in there. Let's go. Like my, that's my second favorite. I've been doing that since I was six. What's your average? My highest, average, my average is one like 80. And my high, my highest is two ninety nine. If you average anything, you nice. Yeah, that means you don't want too much, bro. <laughs> I used to go bowling like every weekend. Me and my family, we every weekend we was always doing it. Like That's I've been cool. in league since I played in the league since I was like thirteen. And what then you I started hillside bowl. Oh, where? I was trying to think where I used to bowl. In Broadview. Yeah, yeah. Hillside Bowl in Broadview. We used to do every Tuesday. Yeah, every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, would be a good group, yeah. We started getting action nice. Yeah. Each week, somebody would come in with their own customized ball. Uh, like, I mean, give them a little more serious. Yeah. I feel like everybody has transitioned from bowling, now they golfing. Like, everybody's golfing now. Golfing or biking? Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> the biking and golfing pandemic was like, everybody did. Everybody a specialized bike. Yo, during the pandemic, the biking got serious. You got serious. My homie had a crew called um, Bike Tyson. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> Pac-10. Like oh, yeah. The homie had a crew called Bike Tyson. That shit way and gone then, uh, now. <laughs> and then uh, I know Ray from Stereotypes, him oh, yeah. and Sterling and them, they be biking and yeah, everything yeah. like that. Those my guys. Yeah. No, it's, I, I think, you know, we, 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 also, we also have to uh, develop, you know, other tools outside interest from our day-to-day -day things mm -hmm. that take us away for a moment you know what i mean and allow us to just especially something like biking or playing golf which is very disciplined right if you want to be decent yeah. like i want to be decent i don't want to I, I told the homie the other week i just like i don't want to slow down you know what i mean yeah. the game i don't want the people waiting behind us like god damn can yeah. we like you know what i mean you hate to be that person or it's like I'm still 
because I'm still at the point where it's like, I'm playing your ball, you know, whatever you you know what I mean? Like if we, I, I got to play like that. That's where I'm at with my game. But um, no, nah, I think it's, it's super important that we develop these outside tools that allow us to like step away from for a moment, you know what I'm saying? And, and, and uh, engage in, in another part of ourselves and everything. Cause we, we need it right now. I mean, we've always needed, but you, you can never have too many tools in the tool belt, so to speak, right? That's true. Yeah, that's true. And the golf course, you know, nothing else. You, you're getting deals on the golf course. So it's just great to have in your back pocket and being like, all right, if we want to go out there and connect and talk Man. some money, it's a great place to do it. You'd be surprised how much, like, networking and stuff happens on the golf course. Like, in it, even if y'all out there for hours, like, y'all more so connecting on business stuff than, especially with people that be, like, literally out there, you might see somebody that's like, Man, I wonder what he do. He look like he's... And just like off of who you is, people engage with you. And that first encounter take you a long way. Yeah. Like, you'll be some multi-billionaires on a golf court. When's the last time you played golf? golf um, I played with my dad when my dad was just out here and my mom. But I don't play as often as I, as I used to. Yeah, I, I actually, like you said, with bowling, my dad at Columbus Park on the west side of Chicago, we used to go golfing. I would go golfing since I was seven. Really? And yeah, and it was during Tiger Woods days when Tiger Woods was hot. So like black kid on the golf course, and people be like, oh, he gonna be like a little Tiger Woods. I was not, <laughs> I was okay. <laughs> but for me, uh, all the homies that started golfing again, I'm like, I gotta get back in it. Yeah. So I go buy anything for me. I wanna be decent at all of it. I don't wanna do anything. Like I ain't gotta be the best, but I can't be out there, like you saying, slowing up nobody. That's what, that's what, that's video games. People are like, get on this video game. And I'm like, I don't want to be the nigga that's trash. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be trash the first three months at least. It sucks. <laughs> nah, I, I, so for me, like, I grew up, like, doing a bunch of different things. Like, my mom worked in a sports store. Okay. So mm -hmm. literally, every sport you think that possibly would be in a store, I did. And I had basketball, football, baseball, golf, tennis, soccer. Uh, hockey, like bowling, everything. My brothers played, did the same exact thing. We literally had everything in the house. And my mom kept us active, like doing a bunch of different things. Like for us, sports was heavy in my family. Mm -hmm. I played, my brothers played, my, my um, dad played at one point, my mom played. Every weekend, it was something. Like we went from season to season to season. So we stay active in mom. He know, keeping us out of the street. I was like, just saying, Chicago, you have to. You have to, because if you don't, what else you got? Yeah, what else you got? I got time now. Like, yeah. Yeah, for me growing up, we played, my dad was the baseball coach. He still is the baseball coach. Okay. My brother, you know, the same reason my brother is in the AU now. He's cause it's just always been in us to give back to the community in that way and be like, I want to touch. But for us, yeah, we played every sport. Like, I ain't play hockey, but I used to always dream about playing hockey, no bullshit. I used to be like, man, I want to play hockey so bad just to fight. Just because they be letting these kids fight without nothing happening. You just go to the penalty box, it sound cool. We had a rink uh, that was in Oak Park. I used to be like, man, if I could just go out there, I learned how to ice skate just to do it, but I never joined the Skating, yeah. skateboarding, all that. Like. Yeah, I ain't skateboard. I used to want to. I was on the west side, and Lupe had dropped, kick push, and I was like, man, I think this is a metaphor about drugs, but also, I do want to learn how to skateboard because of this. Man, I used to be a cutting up the sidewalks. Like, before we, before we moved, before we moved uh, from the west side, like, be outside, like, there was a lot of stuff going on. Like, mm -hmm. we stayed on Chicago Avenue, Trove, Huron, Sacramento, California, like, yeah. all down the west side, like, and 
some of the stuff you couldn't do, but as we moved further, further, it got so bad. And my mom was like, yeah, we got to get out of here. Like, mm -hmm. she didn't want my brothers to grow up in the same environment that I grew up in. And just like, needed to change. Cause she seen me and how the, the trend that I was going, I wasn't active in sports early. When, but once I got into sports, once we moved in a new environment, it changed my whole life, and I'm thankful for that. Like, yeah. Chicago can't eat you if you don't have the right things going on. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, 1,000%. I done seen all of my homies that had the talent, everything, couldn't leave Chicago. Yeah. Stayed there, and their whole life just, mm -hmm. it became what they didn't want it to be. And that's what, like me, I left at 18 in college. I ain't been back, like, to live. I go visit, but to live, I can't do it. Because I know that what comes with, when you go back home, you get stuck in, in a trend, in a, a cycle. It's crazy hearing you say that, because, like, I, 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 I constantly, I left at 18. I went to school my freshman year, then after freshman year in college, I just decided to bounce out to L.A. I never went back. Went back Where, for- Where'd you go to school? Went to Morgan State. Yeah. Near Maryland. Yeah. Eastern Shore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was I was out there and then for me it's like I've always teetered back and forth in my head. I'm like, I wanna move back to Chicago. I would love to live there. But I know what comes with it. Like he's saying, it, it, it sucks. Cause you like the city's beautiful. It's so much life, but then there's also so much depth. And it, it is this cloud that is over it. And it sucks because, you know, we talk about LA where it it, it get it get icky out here, you know what I'm saying? But Especially. you know you're at least seeing people every day, you know what I'm saying? Versus like being somebody that's from somewhere, you feel like Rocco, you can't go nowhere without niggas doing that, oh, that's Rocco, you know, he made it to the league, did this. So you just feel like, if nothing else, yeah, I think I'm from here, but these streets will eat you up regardless, yeah. regardless. They don't care about none of us. I got, I got shot at in Chicago. I shot a club, like just cross, random crossfire. I was outside arguing mm -hmm. over nothing, over nothing. Literally, get the shooting. We ain't even in the club yet. Get the popping out front of police and everything. Don't, don't care. care. Don't care. Literally, I ducked. Bullet went right over my head, hit the wall. Not even two feet from my head. At that moment, I was like, yeah, I can't move back here. Cause if I didn't duck, then what? Yeah. Yeah. Then what? I didn't got chased before mm -hmm. because of people that I've been I've been around. Proximity. Like, <laughs> mother, you get my homie get into it with somebody like, yeah. and they remember they know where we go to school at. They know who we are. Mom's followed us one day. We and it was random. It was three days later. Mom was randomly popping up at our school, and I noticed when you from when you from a certain area, you see certain stuff. You always aware of your surroundings. Mm -hmm. I noticed this car following me and my homie. I'm like, yo, don't don't trip, but like you being followed. He like, bruh, what you talking about? I'm like, yo, this car been following us since we left the school. Mind you, we ten minutes away from the school now walking. This mock do the dummy. He looked back. Car take off towards us. <clears throat> I'm like, bro, why would you turn around? Yeah. Why would you turn around? We get off and run through yards and everything, lose them. I'm like, bro, why would you turn around? Like, I, to I told you that we're being followed. Why? That, the first thing you do is don't turn around. Yeah. Also, now you mad at the wrong nigga. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, now you mad at the wrong 
<laughs> nigga over some shit that some other niggas putting you into. You like, nigga, why you turn around? He like, I shouldn't be in these situations with you anyway. Post-traumatic stress. <laughs> while we do, yeah, but I, I, I feel you on that. Like, I'm, I'm a dude that like, yeah, if I go to a restaurant, I gotta sit, can't sit my back to the door. Period. I, I gotta like, I, I gotta know what's going on. I gotta bag into spots. Yeah. You can call me crazy all you want. I don't know what the fuck's going on out here. Yeah. I gotta make sure we safe. Yeah. Um, that's <laughs> one thing you don't do is back into a spot, especially at the crib, because if you do, you already at disadvantage because you can't see what's coming towards you. And the minute you step out, well, hey, yeah, let me get that. What's the we we I know we're you know kind of talking about some of the. Uh, cautionary tales of Chicago and just the inner city environment period but what what what's what's the what's before going to college and we're gonna hit that because you HBCU mm-hmm. one of the only the only player currently in the league that Word. yeah went to a HBCU but let's talk about tell me something beautiful about your city Give me two things that's beautiful oh, about Chicago the the love I think I think a lot of the other stuff gets drowned out, but the love, like the instant camaraderie with somebody of like, you from the crib? Oh, it's love instantly. Like you just meet, cause you, it, it, it sucks you but I think it's it's a warmth that, that you get. And it's still a big city. It's a beautiful city as well. Like, I don't know, I mean, downtown, mm-hmm. but I, I think, you know, I enjoyed uh, Chicago a whole bunch. You know, for me, it, it built me into who I am. You know what I'm saying? It added a lot into, the equation of Stilo or Sterling or whatever you want to call me. Um, for me, I went to Whitney Young. I went to a high school called Whitney Young. That was a super fucking good school. It was academically inclined. Michelle Obama went there. Wachowski siblings went there. Uh, so it was like you had to take a test to get into school. So I had I had this great, like, um, you know, two worlds. I was living in the hood, you say, and that wasn't... Our school wasn't known for the hood at all. It was like a really nice school with a whole bunch of nerds and geeks and shit. And I'm like, I get to kind of see best of both worlds and, and take away a lot of like um, the edge from the city. You know what I'm saying? Just like it's allowed me to come into LA or whatever market I'm in and thrive because I know how to maneuver. I know how to work a room. I know how to have a mouthpiece. I think Chicago is great for a mouthpiece too. Girls will tell you, I don't touch Chicago because I got crazy mouthpiece. Our mouthpiece uh, uh, help you though in those rooms. You know what I'm saying? Like, so for me, it's a whole bunch of Beautiful things I take away from the city. I think it's a beautiful black culture too, as well within Chicago. Like, yeah, yeah. Like you, you, you speaking about coming to LA and having those tools that you, you know, got from growing up in the city. Talk about like when you came to LA, the the journey when you came here was it was music the focus was, you know, I, I know where the career went, but what was that like when you first got here? What was your focus? What was your mindset? I was in my dorm room in, uh, in, in, in Maryland, excuse me. Morgan State. Morgan State, Baltimore. And uh, I was uh, doing A&R work already for this label, this small label called Songbook Entertainment. They had uh, Trey Songz at the time, and Troy Taylor was the person running the label. So I was doing like A&R work from my dorm room. So when I moved to LA, I already had this vision of like, y'all was reading uh, Make It Happen by Kevin Lyles, uh, who went to Morgan State as well who I was like, all right, Kevin Lyle, he only went there for one semester. I was like, shit, I did two. I was like, I'm, a, I'm already ahead of Kevin. I'm like, I need to move out to LA and make this happen. So, so uh, legitimately when I moved out here, I had interned at Clear Channel as well within Chicago. So I, I just was trying to work and get a job here. But it was a super struggle. I didn't have no money. It was my boy just being like, hey, I'm moving out to LA. 
you should move out to LA too. I'm going to pursue acting full time. I know that you have kind of been a person that wants to do management, do this. Just come out there, let's let's make it shake. And I was kind of just thirsty to make some shit happen. So I just came out here. It was definitely a struggle though, for sure. Broke as hell. That's how, that's how it always starts. Like. Yeah. That's how it always starts. But like you go through that struggle to, you know, weed the the benefits at the end, like. That's one thing that we've always taught that not taught, but that we learned that it's going to start off a certain way, but it's going if you stay consistent with what you're doing and what your vision is, it's going to come out better on the other side. Yeah. Like, yeah, same with me, like being from Chicago, I literally coming out of Chicago. I didn't know where I was going to go to school. Were you highly first. recruited? No. Out? OK. I had two scholarship offers. Okay. Sacramento State and Tennessee State came a month before I graduated mm-hmm. high school. Did you go visit Sacramento? I went and I was, no. Yo, did you go to the airport? They got the jackrabbit in there? Listen, <laughs> listen. You got when I touched, when I touched down in Sacramento, I knew this wasn't it. Okay, for you, this wasn't it. Then once I get to the school, cornfields, Middle of nowhere. Nah, black kid from Chicago, we see this type of stuff in the movie. Don't nothing benefit come don't nothing come good come out of this. When you see cornfields and all that, you don't know what's out there. So instantly, I was already traumatized. Nah. As soon as I seen all that, no. Got it. I was already done with that visit before it even finished. And that was the first couple hours. So then Tennessee State is where you ultimately ended up. Man, tell it's us cra- about that. It's crazy how I ended up at Tennessee State. I was at this unsigned senior showcase in Deerfield at Joy the Game. And it was my AU team, uh, Illuminate Bobcats, under Antoine Walker and Kevin Dockery now. And, Wait, uh, Antoine his, Walker? Yeah, he's my, he's my AU coach. He's <laughs> one of my AU nice. coach. Oh. Yeah, yeah, Antoine was nice. Nice, nice. nice. Yeah. Antoine was nice. So we had, we had a bunch of kids from all out south. I was the only kid from out west on that team. So I used to have to drive 45 minutes so when we had practice, I used to have to drive from my my crib all the way to the Hunnets. Long drive. Yeah. So that's a different back. city if you from Chicago. <laughs> Long <laughs> drive. So I go to this uh, unsigned scene showcase, and when I get there, I had a phenomenal game. Like, and this coach was literally watching the game the whole time. Dana Ford. This man came to my my family and was like, hey. I love your son. Like, I don't even know how he sat up here and knew who my parents was. But as I'm getting ready to walk towards my family, he's already over there talking to them. I don't know how he knew or whatever case may be, but he just was over there like, and I'm just gradually walking towards him. He was like, son, like, da da da, like, I love your game, but I would love to sit up here and like recruit you, this and that. He was like, but this is what his spiel. I used to coach at Chipotle Junior College and McAllen, Texas. Okay. I ain't got no job right now, but wherever I go, like, man, I want, I want you to come. I'm like, you ain't got no job. <laughs> like, wait. So I'm looking like, oh, rip. I'm like, so he was like, yeah, I'm going to get your It do. It sounds crazy. Like, nigga, I ain't got so, no job. I'm going to get you hired. So he was like, but, you know, I've applied for a few places and this and that. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'm already tuned out when he said that part. Like, yeah. 
I ain't got no job, but wherever I go. So you don't even know where I can end up at. So this man was like, I'm gonna call you every day until I get a job, because I'm gonna show you how serious I want you. Like, I fuck with them. I fuck with that. Yeah, but I me, but me, I'm, I'm like, bro, it ain't. Bro, it ain't. <laughs> so he called, he did call me for a little period. And then I was like, I stopped answering the calls. So then he started calling my dad every single day for two weeks straight. Literally for two weeks straight. He called my dad every day. He finally got the job at Tennessee State. And he called my dad. I was like, hey, now I'm under NCAA guideline restriction, so I can only call you once, twice a week. He was like, but I want to sit up here and I want my first prayer is get him here. I want to bring the coach staff down. I want them to see da da da. I'm like, all right. My dad was like, all right. Well, y'all let us know when you come. He was like, we'll be there tomorrow. Mm. Um, my dad told me, he was like, I said, okay, well, what, what they gonna sit up here and do? Like, school over with, ain't no basketball going on for real. So we set up a basketball, a basketball of scrimmage. Five, five on five, like pickup, like just open gym. Nobody showed up, all the people that we invited. It was only seven people that, that showed up. It, we invited 20. It wasn't just, a, honestly, a, a moment for me. It was for other guys to get looked at, too. Yeah. Okay. These was eight of them were seniors from my school and rivalry schools. Mm-hmm. Four juniors, sophomores, and a couple kids that we knew was freshmen that was nice. Like, just to put the bugs in, in the ear. Like, you know, these college coaches are going to be here or whatnot. So only seven show up. So we playing three on three, full court. Then full court got too tired, so we went to half court. And in the setting, coach is sitting up here looking. He's talking to my dad, talking to the coach, talking to my high school coach. And I just see him like, just kept talking to the coach, the head coach. Like, man. So I'm like, all right. So afterwards, he was like, man, we love what we see. Like, you know, we want to get you down on the visit as soon as possible. So I'm like, all right. Like, when are y'all thinking? This is a Tuesday. No, Wednesday. It was a Wednesday. He was like, we want to get y'all, we want to get you down here Friday. I said, that's like in two days. Like, yeah, I want to, they was like, yeah, we want to get you down here Friday. So I'm like, all right. Hey, let everything know. I told my dad, they came to the house. I was like, yeah, you sit up here and uh, we want to, we want to go bring them down. The coach for Sacramento State, he, he was done. But the first moment he, when he first came to my house, my mom sat up here and, and wrote him off because the first thing that came out the head coach mouth is I don't pay for players as if my family was looking for something disrespect right off the jump off the jump <laughs> so it's like you already wrote yourself off in it anyway because we're not looking for no handouts we're not hurting for nothing we're not looking for nothing so this my what I loved about Tennessee State coaches when he met my family he was like look I'm gonna tell you straight up like this I'm gonna take care of your son I'm gonna show him the ways of life as a black man in the world and I want to prepare him for that not just in basketball but for life for life because it's no guarantee that he's going to sit up here and you know make it to where all every black kid wants to make every black young black man wants to make it, which is the NBA. You still keep in touch with him? Man, what? Every, I, I feel that, I feel every, that energy. Yeah, I was asking, I was asking, yeah. Every single day we sit up here and we text, talk. Sometimes, like, if 
five, six, four or five times a week, we have this rental. His family, his daughter, his son, his wife, that's my family. Got it. You've been calling you every day for the rest of your life. Maybe that was start with that's one time. That's what, a day family. So, Is he still coaching at Tennessee State? Nah, he's at UNLV now. He's assistant coach at UNLV. Oh, so when it came down to it, he was like, look, if you come to Tennessee State, I'm not going to give you anything. You're going to have to earn it. Because when it comes down to what's going to happen in life, ain't nobody, you already up against two strikes. You black and you a man in his world. You already got two strikes against you. So you will have to go and take everything that you want. And that's how I'm going to treat you when you get, if you come to Tennessee State. That's all I need to hear. Damn. How important like, is, is, is that advocacy and mentorship you know, as, as black men, men in general, you know, because I think as, as we get older, you know, and for me, that's where I'm at in my career is like I want to wrap my arms around people because I wouldn't be in my position if I didn't have those people do it. But I think that gets glazed over, you know, because of the society we live in. But the importance of hearing that story, and I'm sure you have from your father and other people wrap their arms around you. Like, how important is, is that component? It's the accountability. You know what I'm saying? That's what it is. It's, it's, it's super important. It's people that hold you accountable in life if nobody else will. You know what I'm saying? Like, especially in a space and when you become something and you make the money, you, you know, my dad would always say, the man with the money make the rules, right? You become the man with the money. You, you do have the power to make rules. And you do still need people that are going to hold you accountable within having that power to make rules. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think it's, it's very important. My, my dad and my mom both pastors as well. So yeah, yeah. my dad always joked, he worked at Soft Sheen, always joked and said he's Jamaican, he not. But uh, he had seven jobs growing up for whatever reason. He's worked at Soft Sheen, was a fireman for 30 years, uh, pastor. But like, yeah, that, that mentorship definitely came from him. And I know that my brother as well is somebody, my big brother somebody that I know he gonna hold me accountable. Even when I'm out here living my own life and I got my own shit and I'm able to maybe send niggas, niggas with hush hush money, shut up talking to me. But nah, ain't what it's about. It's about me holding you accountable to be a better man in life and to prepare you as being a black man in life and, and through any of these industries, you know? No, I, I can piggyback off of that. It's, I got so many positive male role models in my life that if this is, this is how, and he knows this how in Chicago, like he picked off on. It ain't just one person, like it ain't just my dad. When I'm not in his space, you got my coach. You got people that he know that sit up here still holding me accountable that, you know, if I do something wrong, they gonna step up and be like, hey, that ain't, that ain't it. Like you, you, you're not doing what you need. You're not being an example that you need. Like, I got so many people that I can call on just to sit up and have a conversation about and just open up to about like anything. That's all people that I've heavily have used throughout life. And these, they're not, they're not family. They're family now because- They are family. They, but I'm, I'm not like immediate family. Yeah. Like, like my family members that, you know, blood, I don't, none of that sit up here and like, insinuates uh, to me. Like I'm at a place where it's just like, no matter what, my circle is my circle. That's my family. I don't. Once you show me your who you are as an individual, I, I take people at accountability is a big thing. I'm gonna hold you accountable, and I want you to do the same for me. Cause if you can't hold me accountable, if you're a person that's just here for specific reasons, and you just 
there for the show, mm-hmm. I can't have you around. Because if if I'm doing something wrong and I and I don't know, I want you to be able to tell me. Yeah. And I want you to be strong enough to be like, just because I got the power, I still want you to be able to stand up to me. Yeah. I don't want nobody to sit up right. there and then I can walk over. No, that, that doesn't resonate with me. Yeah. Because I'm an example for the people that's behind me. Yeah. I'm an example for my little brothers. Like, I'm an example for kids that I mentor. Mm-hmm. Like, all of that stuff matters. Because... The generation that's behind us, they don't have a lot of them positive male role models in their life. And you and you and you have to pay you're you're constantly paying homage to the people that were before you. Exactly. You know what I mean? Who took the real L's, right? Exactly. Like some L's that we Sacrifice we haven't had to we haven't had to be confronted with. The sacrifices you know? is amazing. is I watched literally my dad sit up here. My my dad sat up here and changed his whole schedule around because he wanted to make sure I got to school on time because my real father wasn't reliable. Mm-hmm. My, 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 I always tell people, when they see my dad, my father, nobody really knows that that's not my real dad, but that's who's been here. That's, that's, my, that's my father. That's father. Yeah, that's, sure. But people don't, people don't know that's not my real father. They don't know that's not my blood, like the person that brought me in this world. Mm-hmm. But they know that's my father. Mm-hmm. And I tell kids all the time, it don't matter that if you your real father ain't in your life. It don't matter if they abandoned you. You can find father figures that you can look up to and pay homage to that can step in and fill that void. Absolutely. But you got to be open to that. Yeah, and you can't, you can't sit up there and keep holding on to that hurt or like, why my dad not here? Like, what did I, what's wrong with me, this and that? When it's people that's trying to show you that you worthy, you, you, you have a purpose to be here. And that's what a lot of the generation now, because a lot of kids that I talk to, it's a kid that I, I swear to you, I threw a camp this past summer at my high school. This kid had been shot five times. This kid is 16 years old. He had been shot five times. He talking about, man, I don't know nothing but the streets. Like, I gotta be out here to do this for my mom, but do this for my dad. Like, my dad ain't never been around. I don't even know what this man looked like. If he was to walk past me, I wouldn't even know. But I'm like, bro, who do you have in your life that's telling you what you're doing is not right? Well, then that's you. Man, nobody. Yeah. Like, nobody, man. I, I, I don't, like, everybody I know, they in the games. They in the streets. Like, bro, that's not for you. I said, bro, you literally, kid told me he got shot in both shoulders. He ain't even supposed to be moving his arms. And he still got a bullet in one of his arms. He said every time he sit up here and wake up, his shoulder hurts. I said, why you ain't get this taken out? He's like, I can't afford it. I can't afford it. I said, so you gonna keep putting yourself in this predicament environment, but the next time you might not make it. I said, bro, you got the talents. I seen you in the camp. You one of the kids that it was in the all-star game that every coach advocated for. And you telling me that you ain't got nobody? Do you think that, that that mentality has to do with the fact that uh, I feel like there's a lot of hopelessness right now, like in, in, in where our youth are involved? Yeah. And so what do you do for yourself personally to avoid that space? And then how is it that you use your platform, whatever, medium to help advocate to you know what I mean? Create more, create more uh, awareness on 
how to navigate things and so the hopelessness doesn't set in. How do you? So, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Because you, you find yourself sometimes even feeling hopeless. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I, when the pandemic first hit, George Floyd first hit, I felt hopeless at, at one point. I felt like, yo, you know, I'm, I consider myself a Christian man. I consider myself these things. I'm like, yo, my ancestors prayed the same prayers as me. Shit ain't stopped. So you find yourself feeling hopeless. You find yourself feeling like, yo, is it just all it is what it is? You know what I'm saying? Is it stacked against us? So, you know, you, you but I, I try to wake up each day and, and find silver linings in all of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I do think that um, it's 50-50. And in, in this generation, yeah, there is some hopelessness for sure. But then there's a lot of hope as well. Like, you know, you'll scroll the internet and see kids and be like, oh shit, they further alone than us. I love to know that. I love to know that their perspective about this thing is 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 right on point. They're on the right side of history with this thing. Versus I feel like, you know, a lot of us have Stockholm Central. I've watched, you know, my parents kind of have Stockholm Central for this, from this country, abusing them so much. I might, you know, have conservative views sometimes in certain ways. I'm like, that's just abuse, fam. You don't even, you don't even understand what's going on. Like, that's just, like, of course you feel that way, of course. But, but for me, I, I just, I try to, you know, wake up and, 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 and simply let myself know that there's more on the other side, you know what I'm saying? Like to, to, to not be in that place. For, for us, my, my dad won't leave the hood because he feels like he could be doing more, right? So he won't leave for those reasons. And for us growing up as kids, it was always crazy. We'd always be an extra person in our house. Yeah. Always an extra person in our house. My dad and my mom and they'll be like, this person's going through something. So somebody here. So they, you know, for, for me, I feel like they would always, would, you know, outside those walls, there is a whole bunch of hopelessness. I'm watching homies, little homies steal cars at seven and do wild shit at, at seven. I'm not even making that at seven. Like, and, and even though I was probably like 11, I would be somebody already trying to, hey fam, you know you ain't gotta do that, right? Hey fam, you know, so I try to always carry that, you know, I, I try to always be uh, an example for little black boys as well and being like, yo, nigga, we can't make it out. You do not have to be, just because you are from an environment does not mean you have to be of that environment. Exactly. Do not set yourself up for that. Exactly. Like there is more outside of all of this. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I, I think I love and respect about both of you of what you've been able to create. You know, I've, I've, I've known you for, you know, quite some time and to watch you continuously grow and your career continuously grow and these new things and now you, I feel like you're doubling back now with your passion of releasing music. And that's so dope to see too, because I feel like there are a lot of people that get the success and then they become complacent, you know? And um, I think that's an inspiration in itself. And, and I think, you know, we should talk about that a little bit more too. Like just your journey of, of coming here and, you know, MTV and all the, the things you've been a part of and your community that you've grown out here and now with the music and, and all those things, like when did kind of like, I don't know, it's not acting, but like the MTV and all that stuff, that, was music the first passion and then that just happened? Yeah, and that, like I said, music was definitely the first passion. I came out here and I was helping uh, Rob's cousin Drama put together his publishing production company. Uh, um, from doing that is how I met Rob. Rob came to the studio like twice. And then literally the second time was just like, hey man, you funny as hell. We should do a show together. And I'm thinking there's some 
either some weird Hollywood shit. I don't know what's kind of going on. Like, I'm, like, I'm not about to blow you. I don't know what's, I don't know what's, what's happening there. But and he was like, yeah, we should do a show. I was like, oh, okay, that's what's up. Cool. Didn't kind of believe him. And then he called me maybe three months later. I didn't have his number. And he called three me. Three months. Yeah, and was like, hey, uh, this is Rob. And I was like, oh, that's what's up. I didn't believe him. And then he like, <laughs> described it. I was like, oh, okay, it really is him. He was like, yeah, that show I mentioned, we start filming it tomorrow. Can you be there at 10 a.m.? And I was like, all right, I'll be there. And then the pilot, when we shot it, it was actually Rob, Drama, Chanel, and then myself. I, number one was the only person not on television currently. Those three were already on TV. And then I'm the only black dude. Yeah. So I'm like, I feel like it's an order of speaking as well. Like, so the pilot, I bombed, in my opinion. I said a couple funny things, but I was just chilling like, White people done talking so I can speak, all right? Here's my comment now. And, uh, and uh, MTV wasn't fucking with me. They was like, no, nah, bro, this is not it. And Rob was like, trust. Trust me, like, he actually is funny. He just, and I didn't know him from a hole in the wall. I don't know why. I'm going to guess it's the favor of God, for sure, because I don't know him at all. And for him to, like, really go to that back for me, to be like, no, trust. I'm going to, like, talk to him, get warmed up. And, you know, obviously we've been doing that for uh, 11 years. Uh, 11 years. Yeah, we gonna, we gonna keep going too, man, shit. They, they want us to die on that stage, so, uh, we gonna, uh, but, yeah, that shit faithfully. yeah it, 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 it's, it's great for that, just, just pointless TV and just nah, thoughtless TV, I, I love it for that, it's, it's that amazing. Not pointless, <laughs> not pointless, but more thoughtless. I love just TV that can connect to people, we in so many countries and I always think about the fact that there's just this, you through comedy, you have to connect people, but to go back to music, yeah, I, I always, Kind of still dibbled and dabbled. I had the network I had built somewhat for music that I felt like I was just walking away from. I was yeah. like, damn, you're not doing this thing that you kind of really is your passion yeah. somewhat. And uh, I got to do a couple in, in between projects. I EP, Creed 2, soundtrack. So I did some things just to like, all right, let me still let people know I care about music. Let me still use my relationships and these different things. And then as I was, um, the pandemic gave us all time to just sit with ourselves. If nothing else, just sit with yourself. And, and I think the ones who are, who are definitely here, but most people came out stronger and was like, you know, a lot of people did come out weaker, but definitely a lot of us sat with those thoughts and was like, how can I better myself? What can I be doing for myself? I've never really invested in myself like that. Like, and part of me is like, knowing I'm shooting myself in the foot. I'm a person that overthinks everything. So I was like, yo, you gotta invest back in yourself. How can you do that? Well, you want to get back in music. You do want to manage and do this other side of it, but you got to find an artist you care about. You got to do it. Nigga, you always rap a little bit. Like, why don't you just do this thing you want to do? Because we are all multi-layered. You know what I'm saying? I think that we let people project on us so much of like this thing you can't do. Or you can't do that thing because they're fear. You can't do that because I said that you're only this one thing. And now you're trying to fuck with my thoughts and make yourself another thing. And you're like, well, I'm a whole bunch of things. <laughs> yeah. I'm a person, like I'm, I'm multi-layered, I'm a whole bunch of things. So for me, I was like, if I start to do this and it's trash, I think I'm real enough for myself. And I think I keep a, a couple real niggas around me that's gonna let me know, hey, and that's trash, don't put that out. Keep that to yourself. And uh, from there, um, you know, I just started messing around with the music and was like, yo, this feels good at least. It's making me feel good. It was therapeutic as well, just to write. You know, I'm a writer, I write more on the TV and film side, but I'm like, this is therapeutic just to get my thoughts out, to have fun with different things. And as someone who had an a background, you are hands-on with everything. You know you are creating half the time. Uh, uh, you know you are 
doing co-production half the time. You know, you're doing, but you're not necessarily in the game for that. So for me, I was like, it's an opportunity just for me to do some shit for me, but to be a voice for creatives and just tell people like, don't let nobody tell you what you could create. Was like, it, was it even more liberating being able to release it without having the stress of like, I gotta go get signed to a, a major label. I have to go, you know what I mean? Like the pressures of what a young artist might feel that's that's really doing it because you know of your level of success and your connections. And it was just, was it? Did it feel more fun? Of course, it's it's it's, it's still super fun. It's like for me, it's, it is liberating. It's just like, all right, you know what? You can do this thing. Um, for yourself, yeah, for me, signing to a label is neither here or there. Yeah, I don't have those pressures, and I'm never looking at somebody being like, oh, you signed to a label, that was stupid. It's like everyone's in different situations, and what may work yeah. for you may work for you. Yeah. But for me, I'm like, all right, well, if, if I put it out and, and I don't do shit, I'm cool with that. I'm cool with I'm cool with living in a space that like I did this thing for me on to the next journey, but I'm, I'm allowing myself to just kind of have fun with it and, and see how far you know, it takes me. I think I think I think your uh, your perspective is a lot like our perspective when we got into this, right? right? Each coming from a different a different medium, right? Like I came from A and R, like yourself, you know. So, and this still feels like A and R to me, because you know when we're going through the process of like, let's identify the guest, let's identify the chefs. Let's identify, you know, the food, the venues that we're going to have this at, because it's still storytelling. Mm -hmm. This is definitely storytelling, you know, even even the rollout, even though it's, you know, us on IG or whatever, and we're dropping clips. Again, it's the storytelling Facts. component of it. And um, I think we all I think we all fall victim sometimes to the things that we let people project on us like, yo, you should be at this point in your life. You can't go back. You can't. Yep. No, I could do whatever, whatever I want. There ain't no rules. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if I if I conform to the rules, then we're not sitting here at this table right now. And us sitting at this table right now is one of the most liberating things that has ever happened to me personally. It feels amazing. You know what I mean? So uh, again, kudos to you on on continuing to just walk down whatever it is you you know you get up in the morning and you feel like you want to do and the same thing for yourself like uh, here's a question for you is what what year are you in the league right now 10 10 the average is what two and a half three four 10 out of tennessee state undrafted correct mm-hmm and they told years. and they told me I wouldn't I wouldn't like I didn't have a position I wouldn't last. They said I wouldn't even make it here. Every level they will. Every level you go up, they'll tell you that. They're gonna tell you that. <laughs> I think you should be a little bit more realistic. When 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 they're telling you that, did you ever doubt yourself? Did I've been told that my whole life, like from middle school. People don't people don't even know, like my tr my whole story behind everything is that. I never played in middle school on my middle school team. My first school team I played on was my ninth grade year. I've been playing, I started playing in fourth grade. Fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. I never played on my school team. I played on traveling teams. And I only played fourth at a rec league, fifth grade for this basic team. Why didn't you play for that team? 
They told me I wasn't good enough. Really? Told me why I was good enough. School had all the talent, like, and I was always tall, skinny. They was like, nah. Coach told, Coach told me verbatim, I remember this, my seventh grade year at MacArthur Middle School. He told me, you should never pick up a basketball again. Sheesh. Compared to what everybody else that was, he said you should never pick up a basketball again. I would have sent him a sign basketball for sure. I'm oh, a petty nigga no, for no, sure. I would have definitely sent you a sign basketball. This is the crazy part about it. <laughs> that same coach, he don't think I remember it. He didn't think I remember it. But he came to see me play my third year. And this was the first, this is one of the, no, my second year. It was the first time I played at home. He was one of the people that came to see me. I had 107 people come watch me play. He was one of the people that randomly showed up to this game and seen me during the game and was like, man, like, I'm so proud of you, da da da. After the game, seeing me as I was walking in the tunnel, he was like, man, I'm proud of you. I said, nah, no, you ain't. Remember, I should never pick up a basketball again. He was like, huh? That was almost 20 years ago. He can't be actually proud of you? No, no, no. I've, it was just a petty no, moment. Yeah, you gotta it was, have that it was just that petty moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna hit him with his career. You have to have a petty moment. Like, okay. you have to because that look like, oh, sh he remembered that. Like, yeah, I remember everything that everybody ever said about me. When it well, comes you know down what? to that I, negativity I, stuff. I hope that I hope that he received that though. Oh, was that teachable? Yeah, and, and it was sure. a teachable moment. Teachable moment for sure. And it's yeah. like, you know what? Moving forward. You can't project you can't project that. And stuff I'm in a, on and, kids. and I'm a child is wild. And I'm in that position. <laughs> and I'm in that position. He's in a position not as a coach. Not only was what? he not only yeah. was he the coach, he was also one of my he was my math teacher. Damn, niggas. Oh, man. Stick to math, kid. Stick to math, kid. He's one of my math teachers. So That's wild. Literally, from every from every element of my life, like, I've been told, nah, that ain't basketball ain't for you. Even in college. And even in college. Like, all the ESPN, all these people, they told me, he ain't good enough. Like, he don't play nobody. He ain't got what it takes. He ain't got what it takes. Has that driven you? This is how crazy it was. It took one moment. It took one moment.